Welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question, how does an artist find their voice? I'm your host, Nicholas Krolak. If you like what you hear today, you can keep up to date with my travels through Sonic Space at my website, nicholaskrolak.com, or on Instagram at nicholas underscore Krolak. Laura Lizcano is a Colombian jazz vocalist and songwriter based in Philadelphia. Lizcano crafts lyrically driven compositions that blend elements of jazz, folk, and pop. Lizcano was born in the city of Bogota, Colombia, and as a child emigrated to a small rural town in the United States. In her late teens, she moved to Philadelphia to pursue a degree in jazz performance. As a student, she had the opportunity to perform at the Kimmel Center for the performing arts with Joanna Pascal, Chelsea Reed, Limo, Najwa Parkins, and Alexa Barcini for the Sitting In series at Innovation Studio. She has also performed at Dizzy's Coca-Cola Club as the featured vocalist with the Temple University Big Band. Currently, Lizcano performs throughout central Pennsylvania and the greater Philadelphia regions with her band. In 2018, Laura independently released her debut EP titled Chance On Me. Laura Lascano. Hi. How's it going? It's going. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, appreciate you taking the time and uh, inviting me to your place. It's super cool. Thank and, you. Um, you know, we're drinking some coffee, eating some cookies, and uh, talk some music stuff. So, how we met slash how, how you got to Philly. Yeah. We met in, at Temple. Uh, in Najwa Parkin's ensemble. Oh, I yeah. I believe so. Maybe mm-hmm. we met before that. That's like the first time I remember like working with you. Mm-hmm. I got to work with a bunch of awesome vocalists in that group. How how did you, you get to Philly? So it's kind of a long story, but I, um, I'm actually from Colombia, from um, the capital city, Bogota. And I grew up there, and then when I was 10 years old, my mom and I moved to the States, and we moved to this tiny little town that's about 45 minutes north of um, Harrisburg, that's in central PA. And then I did, you know, I graduated high school from there, and then from there I um, I went to Temple. And that's how I ended up in Philly, and then I kind of just stayed here. Very cool. What were some of your musical experiences like in Colombia? Well, I, you know, my, my brother um, is an upright bass player. And when I was a little girl, my brother was doing his undergrad in classical bass performance. And so I think that I was just always surrounded by music. I wasn't quite p- 
paying a ton of attention to it necessarily but I would hear my brother practice like all the time and it was just kind of like in the background consistently and my parents listened to a lot of music um, my dad was especially fond of um, Andrea Bocelli <laughs> um, and so as a little girl I remember that's when cars still had like cassette players in the mm-hmm. 90s my dad would pop in the Andrea Bocelli cassette into the into the car stereo and and i would like sing along that's like kind of like my first vivid memory of singing mm-hmm. and my mom loved mercedes sosa who's an argentine vocalist protest singer and um subconsciously i think i just absorbed a lot of that music mm-hmm. and it's music that i love now so yeah uh, you mentioned your um how uh, your brother's older yeah. By, by, by about how much? Um, 13 years. Okay. So he was like in... in College. In, in college playing like heavy music in, in, in a serious way. Um, what did you learn from kind of his work ethic or practice routines or anything like that? Because I know you work really hard at, mm-hmm. at music and and... Was there anything you, you learned from him? I think I just, like, the biggest memory that I have of Alejandro, my brother, is that he was just always practicing. And mm-hmm. I can't remember a time that I didn't hear him practice, which is yeah kind of crazy. Now that I think about it and, you know, after college and everything, that I, I literally cannot remember him not practicing or not being at a music thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I, in a way, also absorbed that, that I just in my life I've always wanted to just be surrounded by music like a hundred percent of the time yeah um whether it's like listening or writing a song or whatever I think that I just I like need it in Mm -hmm. a way yeah Yeah. do you have a a particular way you like to listen like ideal setting for for like deep listening I definitely like to be alone for that and it's funny I don't I don't necessarily care so much about the quality of of the recording Mm -hmm. but you know if if I can have like headphones and just like be like chilling and sitting on my couch or something that's um kind of where I do my deep listening or in my car I do a Mm. lot of deep listening especially like you're going to a gig or driving really like a lot of far distances Mm -hmm. that's where I get a lot of my listening into and I like to I kind of get hooked on like one album or one song or something and I'll just listen over and mm-hmm. over and over again. It's like I can't let it go until yeah. until I'm through with it, until I feel satisfied that I know <laughs> what that recording sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like one of the most recent albums that you were just like, I gotta listen to this a million times. I do the same thing in, in that way. Um, I've been really, really into Fiona Apple lately. Um, yeah. This record, When the Pawn... I mean, I love all of her records, but I think especially when the pawn um, has really hit me mm-hmm. in like a in like a heart place, mm-hmm. um, and especially this one song, "Love Ridden," is like piano and strings. That I just love. I I don't. I love the way that this album was recorded. Everything feels really intimate mm-hmm. and and full at the same time. I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't know a ton about recording, yeah. <laughs> but um, there's something about the recording quality of that album that 
is just incredibly beautiful. And that song in particular, the lyrics just struck me as like very honest and very raw and real and something that everybody can connect to. And I just think that she's an amazing musician. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, definitely have been listening to that record for like the last six months or so. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just kind of living in it. So Yeah. You mentioned listening to the, to, to the lyrics on that album and you, you write your own lyrics. Mm-hmm. And what are some of your, your top lyrical inspirations? Or where do you go for inspiration for lyrics I think lately I've been really drawn to um, this singer-songwriter Jorge Drexler who is Uruguayan but he has lived kind of like all over the world and a lot of his lyrics are about living in this kind of in-between place of like you're not quite from one place entirely but you're from all these places at the same time mm-hmm. And obviously for me as an immigrant, that's something that I really, really connect to because I, until I listened to some of his songs, nobody had really articulated that feeling for me. So I just love, I love that feeling that he has in his songs. And when he sings, he's almost like speaking them to you. Mm -hmm. Like he's still singing, but it has a very, very like spoken quality to the way that he um, performs his songs. So I've been really drawn to that. And also he... He does a lot of work on like traditional forms. Something that I've been kind of like delving into is um, there are all these like songwriting forms where like you have to pay attention to how many syllables you're using in each line and how many like the, the exact placement of each rhyme and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And so everything about his songs is like incredibly structured. And not something that I had really learned about before. Mm-hmm. And not something that I have really put into practice quite yet. Because I feel like I'm still kind of getting into it a little bit. Or trying to figure out how to implement some of those things. But it just like, all of his lyrics are like so precise. Mm-hmm. So well developed that it just, yeah, it just makes me think of all the possibilities that could happen in songwriting. Mm-hmm. Do you find having like a like a predetermined form helps helps with writing? Absolutely, because then it's like if you have an idea, it's almost like you're just trying to make the puzzle mm-hmm. fit, make the puzzle fit your idea instead of having like this completely blank canvas and yeah. and feeling completely overwhelmed by not having any direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, we were talking a little bit. Uh, before we started, I mentioned um, this book that I, I, I read recently that I'm really into called Bird by Bird. Mm-hmm. They talk a lot about, uh, the, the author of that is a novelist, but it's about kind of any kind of creative pursuit. And that's like the, the big thing is, is, is facing the blank page and all these ways of like kind of getting around it and like having like a, a, a pre-formed little structure that you can kind of hang your hat on just to just to get going and then you can take it from there so i recommend that that's a recommended for the podcast bird by bird yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna buy it (laughs) (laughs) uh you talked a bit about the 
um, kind of speaking quality of lyrics. And a thing that I've uh, noticed in a lot of your uh, writing and also some of the cover songs that you've chosen to do, I, I hear this kind of like Paul Simon kind of kind of thing going on, and I would, I would call it kind of like a like a like a folk folk thing. Um, I, I don't know, know how to exactly how to describe it, but I don't have a particular question about it. Yeah, where where does that where does that come from? Where, what? what? Yeah. Well, first of all, am I reading that right? Yeah, totally. Cool. Paul Simon is definitely one of my favorite songwriters and I think folk music and folk musicians in general I'm really inspired by that kind of music because mm-hmm. a lot of it is it seems simple mm-hmm. like maybe like the harmonies and jazz level harmony of like look at all these tritone subs I can do yeah. um, but sometimes the structures are very complex and sometimes like in Paul Simon's music for example there will be like random bars of five and mm-hmm. seven because he's trying to fit the, the lyric mm-hmm. into this song that he's made and, and these songs are really beautiful and intricate for it for that reason and I before I went to school for jazz I think a lot of my influences were like indie kind of artists and folk artists and I honestly the only really the only reason I went into jazz was because I didn't want to be a classical musician <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I knew that I wanted to sing and I knew that I wanted to write songs and and so that was kind of like my way of fitting all of that into that into that thing. So yeah, I I would say that folk music and folk music from Latin America specifically mm. plays a big role in in how I write songs. As, especially while I was in college and kind of first delving into doing a bit more serious songwriting, I think I was really really listening to a lot of those Mercedes Sosa records and just taking in a lot of those harmonies and and those structures and forms and trying to figure out how can I take this and make them into a jazz setting. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my songs do have that like very folk quality because that's the kind of music that I wanted to write. Yeah. But I was at the same time trying to also be the jazz singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think it's it's a great uh, synthesis of of forms and styles and approaches so what are some themes in in your lyrics that 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 pop up that Mm. you're you're like kind of find yourself going back to definitely love of course (laughs) um but i i tend to write a lot about like my life and Mm. and how my life has kind of shaped out to be and I think music has always been the way that I process everything that has happened. And so I think that for me, writing music is almost like a therapy session in a way. Where mm-hmm. I'm like, here's this thing that I've been thinking about a lot and I need to figure out exactly how I feel about it or, or don't feel about it. And, and then writing songs kind of allows me to have that, that space. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, as an immigrant and someone who came here as a child, there's a lot of just, like, questions and and things that you want to figure out. Or for me, I want to figure out what my place is in in all of this, like, Mm -hmm. chaos, especially what's happening right now, I think, has really made me think 
deeply about like what my role is mm-hmm. here and how I fit into this whole thing. How, how do you see you fit yourself fitting into this whole thing? At least at this, at least at, like kind of now. I know it's subject to uh, more reflection and. Yeah, and... I think. You know, I connect to this idea of, like, the in-between a lot. Mm. Of not quite from one place and not quite from the other, but kind of like a mixture of both things. And recently I've been kind of really thinking about, like, what, how I can make that place feel like home. Mm -hmm. Right? And actually I was just at the art museum and there's this painting, it's called The Roots of the Clouds, and it's by a contemporary Colombian artist, female Colombian artist based in New York. And I sat in front of this painting and cried for like five minutes, I kid you not, because I, again, it's like this feeling that no, not a lot of people can articulate of like living in this in-between space and like trying so desperately to hold on to your roots while also saying like, hey, this is me, and please just take me as I am. Don't make me try and fit into this thing that I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of that in my music, right? Like my my songs are in like this standard, just like here's a swing tune and here's this. It's always just like a mixture of, of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying to learn to love that mm-hmm. and kind of really own it. Awesome. Um so I want to get into like kind of like the technical end of it just a little mm. bit. So how do you, what are some of your approaches for writing? Like how do you, how do you get your, your foot in the door or how do you start writing something? How do you, how do you face the, the blank canvas? Yeah, for me, it kind of always starts with the lyrics, mm-hmm. like 90% of the time, I would say. So I do a lot of free writing and free writing for me is like I've set the timer for 10 minutes and I just write nonstop. And then from that, I take like a couple words or phrases or things that really s- strike me or I really like, and then I start the process all over, th- all over again, do it for another 10 minutes. And then from that one, so it's like kind of like a three step process, three free writes based on whatever. Sometimes I, I do it with like a kind of like a sensory writing approach, where like if I already have a very specific thing that I want to write about. I do like, um, I try to put myself in a, like a specific place where I think that idea lives. Mm -hmm. So it's, so then I try to write about smell, sight, touch, all of that in that space and kind of try to go from there. I know it's kind of like a bit abstract, Mm -hmm. but I find that when I do that, I, my lyrics tend to be very like descriptive and I like that. And like the language just kind of like flows a little better and I get a, I start to use a lot of words that I wouldn't generally use <laughs> in my lyrics. So I really like that about the free writing process. And then from there, once I pick words or phrases and things that I really like, then I try to start building verses or choruses or A sections and B sections from the things that I've pulled from my free write. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes it gets really specific. Like I'll be like, hey, I, I want to build like kind of little haikus out of this. So I'll do like mm-hmm. seven, five, seven 
first structures with syllables and I'll decide what I want the rhymes to be and then that's where the puzzle kind of starts to materialize and you're like I really need this rhyme here I need this word to rhyme with this word mm-hmm. and what is the perfect word that matches with the sentiment and feeling that I can use in this place and so sometimes it's really great and like the songs kind of just fly out of me and mm-hmm. sometimes it's like a really laborious <laughs> yeah. um thing <laughs> to do <laughs> but I do think that creative work and and writing or whatever it is that you do is is a practice just like anything else and it's something that you need to do pretty consistently like if not every day then at least every other day you know yeah and maybe you write a hundred terrible bad songs but you've got three or four really great songs out of doing that and i think it's worth doing all that hard work Mm mm-hmm when so when you have kind of like a lyric or a lyrical structure that you are into and you're feeling good about well at what point does do the musical elements start creeping in do you wait till like all the lyrics are done and then start or is it kind of did they kind of coincide then i think i kind of wait until i have like at least one or two verses and mm-hmm. then and then i'll start to play around on the piano Mm-hmm. And I think from there that kind of helps me build like the B section because I'm because mm-hmm. then I'm like oh if I'm living in this kind of like G place then in the B section I want to go to like the minor third or whatever I whatever it may be mm-hmm. and that kind of helps the words flow a little bit more freely so I would say they kind of go hand in hand a little bit sometimes I have written songs where like I've written all of the lyrics just like sitting down without even touching any any of the piano. And then I take it to the piano and I try to just make it all fit. (laughs) But there have been songs where I just have like one line that I really love and I'm trying to find different musical ideas that will help me get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing all that. That's, um, that kind of goes into a big theme of the podcast is people's processes and how Mm -hmm. how they do stuff uh, and how they work, make the work that they make. I would like to go to a little bit of the technical end of of singing mm. and kind of your your singing practice a lot, and I ask a lot of these questions out of out of my own ignorance and my, my <laughs> own wanting to get better at singing or uh, and or improving my own ear. So, if you could do like one like vocal exercise, would you or recommend one vocal exercise to to somebody that will that will have the biggest um, uh, returns on investment, mm. um, what what would you recommend? Mm. Or, or like one exercise, and it's like the only exercise you can do for like the rest of rest of your career. Like what would you, like Desert Island vocal Whoa. exercise. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, yikes, I don't know. I think for me, and I know that every singer is different, mm-hmm. so... You know, I think it depends also on, on the singer and internally what's happening that they need to work on. But uh, for me, one big thing that really changed the game for me was long tones. Mm-hmm. So on a hum, just holding out like a note for as long as you can on a nice hum. Mm-hmm. It really kind of like helped with my breath support, being able to maintain this note and maintain that note in tune and not letting the pitch 
waver mm-hmm. a ton. That was actually way harder to do than I thought it was. And then, you know, maintaining that pitch, holding it for as long as you can, really being mindful of, of especially like the cutoff, I think, of the end of your note. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really, really running out of air, can you still lift that pitch and maintain that pitch nice and in tune when you're really running out of air, you feel like you can't take it anymore? And then taking a nice deep breath, feeling your lungs expand, and then going into the next long tone and trying to stretch just a little bit longer mm. into the next note. I, I explained it to my <laughs> my private students as like, the, like a yoga practice in a way where like when the teacher tells you to take a breath and on your exhale just sink a little deeper, stretch a little further. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that same concept where you, every time that you do the long tone, you want to see if you can stretch a little bit further um, into your breath. But also doing it not in a way where you're like flat or sharp. Mm-hmm. Like always keeping in mind that you want that pitch to be as in tune as possible. Mm-hmm. And you can do that exercise not just on the hum, like you can use a straw. And that was also really helpful because... From what I understand, like, it makes the vocal cords just vibrate a little bit more evenly. It's, like, a, the point of the air is just, like, very focused, and so that helps you tune up a ton. Oh, wow. So I do I do them on, on the straw, too. Very cool. Um, how has your, your teaching um, practice informed your vocal practice? So after I graduated college, I, like, didn't practice for a long time. (laughs) I don't know if everybody goes through that. I feel like everybody does Um, go through that. But, yeah, I was just, like, I started teaching voice lessons, and I was, like, just really out of shape, Mm -hmm. I noticed. And, yeah, I was, like, telling all my students to do all these things that my voice teacher from college had been telling me to do. But I wasn't able to execute them mm-hmm. quite to the precision that I wanted it to happen. So that that really pushed me to like, all right, you gotta you gotta like get back in the practice room and 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 get your technique back in shape because it yeah it wasn't. So I that was great of me yeah. having students that they like really pushed me to to start working yeah. on my technique again. Yeah, I asked that because. Um, I have a, a, a very young student who's mm-hmm. just starting out on the, the Samandal book, which is like the the technique book for, for upright bass. And uh, uh, I went went back to page one and was like, oh, well, you know, I, I should really know this. Yikes, yeah. I haven't, I haven't looked at it in years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was noticing all kinds of like little improvements in, in bow control like oh, if I get this this angle is this, oh, okay cool so it's it's amazing how reciprocal the teaching process is and um, I, I feel like of the teachers that I can remember having who were like who I would consider like not good teachers um, they they would always see themselves as like not needing to go back or like they knew more or, mm. or, or whatever. So I feel like a kind of secret of being a, a, a good teacher is, you know, learning from your students. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think I, I learned so much even from like my little students, mm-hmm. like I, it wasn't until I had to teach someone what a quarter note was <laughs> yeah. that I was like, 
like how do I teach that <laughs> that I had to like Google yeah, yeah, yeah. exercises to teach young children how to yep. play quarter notes and I you know it made me so thankful for all the people all my music teachers from the past who knew how to do that because I didn't know how to do that yeah and also I, I think you just learn so much from from listening mm-hmm. like I, I teach piano, beginner piano, yeah. <laughs> disclaimer. <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, my strength hasn't always been my left hand mm-hmm. because I don't ever read in that in the bass clef. But I just from like teaching other people the notes on the bass clef, I like suddenly, you know, was much better <laughs> playing mm-hmm. the bass clef with my left hand. And it, that, that didn't necessarily mean that I was practicing uh, my left hand piano a bunch. It's just that I... I had to like visualize it and sit there and explain it and yeah. that helped me get better on my left hand somehow it's funny how the brain works yeah visualization's huge it's i've just been realizing that just so much lately mm. the power of vis- visualization i'd like to talk a little bit about practice routine mm. and or time organization mm-hmm. because i'm always fascinated by people's practice routines so that's I just like talking about that. And also, particularly with you, you know, your band leading, your booking gigs, uh, you released uh, an EP, uh, Chance on Me. Mm-hmm. And so you've, you've been through the process of releasing music, you've done all those things. And how do you divide your time to do all those things? I wish that I had like a very straightforward answer for you, but the answer is that I don't, I don't, I don't have like a scheduled time for each one of these things. I wish that I, that I did because I'm definitely someone who needs to live by structure. So I think I just kind of take it as it comes. (laughs) I, I wish that I could say that I practice every day, but the truth is that I don't. Just because, you know, freelancing is really hard. Like, you got to be at five different places in one day. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, how do we, how do we get through that? Mm-hmm. And, but I think that when I do have, when I do have the time to practice and I commit to practicing, I kind of live by, by the timers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you've ever talked to Gustin, Rudolph, mm-hmm. he, <laughs> he will tell you all about the timers. Yep. Um, podcast listeners, Gustin Rudolph is an incredible drummer. You should all hire him because he's amazing. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I set my timer for 20 minutes, and I'm like, for these next 20 minutes, I'm going to do warm-ups. And then I take a five-minute break. Mm-hmm. And then I do another 20 minutes of whatever I need to do, and five-minute break, and then another 20 minutes. And if I only got that one hour practice in that day, then... I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. um, I feel like something is better than nothing. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I am kind of pretty religious about is 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 the lyric writing mm-hmm. because I think at the end of the day I'm primarily a songwriter. I see myself as that and that's the thing that I want to work the most at. So that's the thing that I commit to the most and the easiest thing that I can take everywhere. You know, like mm-hmm. if you just have your journal, it just looks like your journal and you're writing whatever down so it doesn't. Um, nobody needs to hear you. Yeah. As far as all the other stuff, the business things and the booking, I I kind of go through waves. So, like, if I'm looking on my calendar, it's looking a little slim, and I haven't really booked any gigs, I'm like, okay, I need to 
send out some emails and fill out my calendar and then once I feel like I filled some stuff out then then I'm cool and then I'll do it again <laughs> once mm-hmm. I feel like I need to do it again the social media thing I'm not so great at like putting content out on like a scheduling um kind of base but you know a lot of people do and they're really committed to that so if that's something that works for you yeah go for it i'm not so great at it it's like a whole other different beast and animal that you know is really hard to maintain on top of all the other things and yeah what was the last thing i don't remember Uh, um Oh, oh, putting out, uh, putting out like a, like a bigger work, like a EP, oh, yeah. like with, uh, mm-hmm. your EP chance on me, uh, you went through the whole process of, you know, booking recording studio, mm-hmm. putting a band together, yeah. uh, releasing, you did all of it and, um, and you're preparing to do it again, uh, with your new album. So, uh, what was that experience like with the EP? Um, yeah. which I highly rec- recommend checking out, um, I've, gotten uh several chances to to play that music uh with your group and it's super fun and so what was that process like and what did you learn from that process yeah so i think the biggest hurdle of doing any kind of musical project with you know more than two people is scheduling yeah (laughs) (laughs) because it's really hard to get seven people in one room at the same time yes and so I just I think having deadlines really helped me of being like we need to do this by this date and it needs to happen and somehow it all fell into place mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think when I when I did the the EP so we recorded it live at Rittenhouse Soundworks and I kind of turned it into a concert and I, I did it because I'm someone who's very very self-critical and I knew that if I had the time and spent the money on the studio and was able to be in there and nitpick at every single little thing that mm-hmm. I would do it. Yeah. So for me, that was really important to kind of just get through the process and the songs are going to be what they're going to be and just kind of trust that and believe in that. So that was a really great way for me to do it. And then it was fun too, because we invited people into the studio and you can hear them clapping and everybody had a nice time. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did it in that way. And it was, at that time, the, the cheapest way that I could have possibly done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was that was great. The one thing that I regret not doing with the EP is releasing a single first, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't at that time I didn't quite understand how the streaming world worked and mm-hmm. all those things. And um, yeah, so if you're putting a new project out, make sure you drop one or two or three singles first yeah. before you <laughs> yes. um, before you do it because then you have more opportunities to get on playlists, more opportunities, you know, you have your verified accounts on all the streaming sites and things like that. And that was something that I did not do with the EP, but definitely something that I will do with the album. Uh, for the album, yeah, again, the, the biggest hurdle was the scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time we had three days of recording um, three half days in the studio so getting those dates locked in and loaded really, it was like really hard Yeah. and I was getting really nervous because like I have all this material that I'm sitting on and I just I need to like take it off my chest so I can move on to other things mm-hmm. but then it just you know we made it happen and it worked out I'm, I'm excited 
for for it to finally be out in the world. Yeah. Let's, let for so let's talk about it. What what's called? What um, I know you got some some stuff coming up soon with uh, with singles coming out, and mm-hmm. so what's your timeline looking like? And yes. yeah, let's talk about it. So the the album is is titled Heart, um, because I've been thinking a lot about the performance of being a singer songwriter, and how you're just kind of like expected to. Mm-hmm. Here's all your feel all your feelings and your everything that goes on inside of you, and you just kind of put it <laughs> on a silver platter for everybody to to hear, and that's a really vulnerable place, I think, for me to be. Yeah, and so that's why that the album is titled Heart. And yeah, the first single is coming out on Valentine's Day. It's called True Love. <laughs> and it's uh, kind of like a New Orleans vibe, which I'm excited about. Yeah, I played, I played that song before. Yeah. It's a great one. It's a fun song. Yeah. So there's that one. And then the second, the second single is called um, Corazón Abierto, Open Heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that one will be re- releasing in mid-March. And we'll have we'll be over at Arturo's Not So Latin series yeah. on March seventeenth um, for a little release party for that, and yeah, and then um, and then we're we're doing a single called Overworked and Underpaid, <laughs> um, which is kind of about you know um, freelance and how hard it is to not burn out on working five part time jobs and still living life somehow (laughs) and we're gonna release that in mid-april so yeah and then that the whole album will come out in may very cool about how long did it did it take you to uh amass the material for heart and then you have it all ready to record like what was your kind of time frame like how long you've been been Mm -hmm. working on this project total i think I think about I, it took me about a year and a half to write all the songs, and but I was like you know like it was two weeks before the recording session and I still had like two sort of unfinished songs that I really wanted to be on the record and having that timeline yeah really put the fire under yeah. me to to get it done. Those last two songs kind of happened almost last minute, but they happened. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm a big fan of deadlines. There was a well, before I get into that, first of all, I wanted to say that uh, you talked about doing the live show for, for Chance on Me. I took notice of that, just that format, mm-hmm. and that was very inspiring to me to uh, record an album in that in that way and at that place, because Jim's the man, and it's right down the street from me. But um, I thought it was, was, was genius for like all the reasons you said, um, uh, giving you a deadline, having that short time... St- period to, to get it right mm-hmm. um did you did you do um just like all one takes or did you do a couple multiple takes we did two sets so i had we had two takes of everything but we ended up using everything from the second take cool. on the second set yeah 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 I, I liked having that just that yeah you know, like all right it's go time we gotta do this mm-hmm. we have this is our very limited time and there's a um, I believe it's called Parkinson's Law. It was um, the idea that the more time you have to do something, the more time you're going to take to do it. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the the deadlines, even if they're not real. You know, just like just setting at least just having something there to 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 guide yourself. Totally. And again, like for me that was the easiest way to again not feel like like I had to be the perfectionist in the studio. I just I think I just needed to commit to doing it and mm-hmm. that way I could say, Alright, I did it once and now I can do it yeah five hundred other times if I can just get through this one. Exactly, exactly. And I, I feel like that's that's a big um hurdle for for uh less experienced players is just just do it you know i see that yeah. all the time people being like oh i wish that uh, i'll do it when this and then you know yeah. it never happens uh so and all, of all the the guests i've had on on here and all the people i talk to about these things all of them, you just got to do it yeah you find a way to make it happen and it's interesting you say that because I, I think for a long time I was kind of in that place of I'm not ready, the songs mm-hmm. aren't ready, I don't feel like my voice is up where I want it to be, but if you kind of continue to have that mentality, you're never going to be ready because, yep. you know, and I, I had a, started writing new songs and those songs felt different from that group of songs and I was like, I just need to, I need to put it out. Yeah. I need to just sit down and do it and to commit to it because because otherwise then I, I won't be able to move on to the other to the to this new thing that is happening yeah in my brain so it was good for me to liberate myself of those songs Absolutely. in a way and like just kind of like put them on the shelf and I think that's and as an artist that's a really important part of the process to accept yourself where you are mm-hmm. musically and to be proud of the work that you've done up to that point and and to say and to have the balls to say i'm gonna put this out there because this is where i am and and please just (laughs) accept me the way that i am (laughs) um and you know and i i totally get it it's a very hard difficult vulnerable and sometimes really sad and dark place to be Mm -hmm. but um i think it's important to continue to do it for the sake of your future work Absolutely. Well, well, well said. Do you have any anything that uh, that you do that is like not music at all, or anything you're into that is just like release, that's just mind cleansing of the music? Hmm. You know, I it's still a bit music related, but mm-hmm. I this year I've. I like went to a lot of theater shows mm-hmm. and a lot of cabaret yeah. and drag shows and things like that and it has been so exciting for me to see all of the art that is happening in Philadelphia particularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and it's not necessarily that it's like completely cleansing my mind, mm-hmm. but I've as an artist I've had a lot of doubts about this city in particular and am I in the right place? Is all this just like kind of doubt about mm-hmm. music in the city in general, but just like going to all of these really interesting shows has really affirmed for me that there's a lot actually happening. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In in Philadelphia, and there's a lot of things to be really excited about, and it makes me excited to yeah. to be part of that of that scene. Like, I interned at Fringe Arts um, over the summer, mm-hmm. and I got to go to a lot of the Fringe shows. And my God, it just like really inspired me and gave me hope and 
it yeah it like completely changed my outlook on, yeah. on art and music and and life in general yeah absolutely that's that's important mm-hmm. do you have have a a life hack that you could recommend for musicians coming up like like something that's particular to music or just like getting by as a freelancer mm-hmm. that like you didn't think about you know five years ago and then you're like oh this is this is helping me out real real good right now yeah i would say the biggest thing is like be humble mm-hmm. because i think and especially at temple there was always this kind of mindset of like we're all amazing and we're gonna be at the top right when we graduate from college or like that that is kind of like the mentality i think a lot of the time Mm -hmm. but nobody prepares you for when you graduate Mm -hmm. and you like have to start from the beginning yeah you have to start your career from the very beginning so trust that yes you are a professional musician and that you know what you're doing and that you are a good musician and that the material that you're producing is great i think Trust in that if, mm. if you really believe in yourself. But also be mindful that nobody is going to hire somebody they've never heard of and pay them mm-hmm. $250 or whatever you want to play this gig mm-hmm. that you think that you deserve, but you can't draw any people and nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. That was a hard lesson for me to learn. Yeah of like you 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 know you need to kind of just <laughs> accept that you're going to have to do some gigs that aren't going to be paid as much as you want them to be and i'm not saying pay play for free that's mm. not all what i'm saying but definitely be aware of of your market value and mm-hmm. and know that it's not a reflection of of the quality of your music or 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 how great you are as a musician but also know that that it's going to take some work to get to the level that you want to get to Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah that i actually just had a uh, a long conversation with uh with um some younger players at at one of the jam sessions and you know they, they were they were kind of looking forward a little bit and saying like oh well what happens when when i graduate it's like you know it's a long haul yeah it's a marathon that first year is really hard yeah that first year is so so hard but i think the biggest thing is to just keep moving forward Mm -hmm. and and like yeah you know i'm I'm not ashamed to say that i had to work at a coffee shop and i nannied and did all kinds of like other things because music alone wasn't carrying Mm -hmm. me through and right now Two years later, I'm, I'm doing a lot more music and it's a lot more of my income, but I'm still not entirely 100% surviving on just music income. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, you got to do what you got to do and, and don't be ashamed of it. You know, everybody worked that construction job or that mm-hmm. whatever job, but all in the name of, of making your music happen. Yep. So don't take it as like, as a defeat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there something in in jazz or the music world that you would like to see changed, disrupted, 
turned on its head. So many things. And I think that it, it is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just tired. I'm really tired of how the music industry treats women. Mm-hmm. And I think very specifically to jazz, we have a big problem. And it is that we don't trust female musicians on their musicality or on their ability to be band leaders or on their ability to write compelling music mm-hmm. or to play all like the sickest lines. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it's infuriating because as a woman, I feel like I constantly have to prove myself to everybody and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually one of the reasons that I kind of stopped going to jam sessions because mm-hmm. I got so tired of like going up to the bandstand and calling a tune and like what is quote unquote considered a weird key and then people looking at me funny or someone asking for a clarification on where the bridge goes and me knowing the answer and somebody else saying that doesn't seem right as if I don't know the tune myself Mm -hmm. that I'm about to sing. I don't, it's, it's really exhausting and you know, other arts organizations are already at the point where like at the at the bottom of their email, every clarifies what their pronouns are, mm-hmm. you know, like, but in the jazz world, we're still kind of like stuck on, can women play music? Can women <laughs> play jazz? Like, like we really need to step up our game. We really yeah. need to like hurry up and, and just accept that everybody can play. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe one, I think one big thing that for me is really frustrating about jazz in general is that why is it always about who can play the fastest who can play the most complex improvisational lines and you know who has like the most muscle Mm -hmm. and i think that music is so much more complex than that that there is so much more to music and jazz in general than than just like here's all the substitutions i can do on this tune Mm -hmm. like i'm sorry but like the audience isn't necessarily listening to that only musicians are going to get what you're doing exactly and and at the end of the day we need we need audiences and we need people to pay money to come see us play so stop flexing so much and Mm -hmm. write music up and play music in a way that's compelling not just improvisationally Mm -hmm. i'm sorry i just like really got my rant out that was was exactly exactly what what i'm going for I uh, appreciate you sharing that with with me, and um, um, and and I agree. Um, there was a speaker at the Jazz Philadelphia Summit. Um, there, there was a, a panel um, about uh, diversity in jazz, and um, one of the panelists said posed the question, the hypothetical question what would jazz sound like without the patriarchy? And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah. I don't know, you know? I mean, and, and historically jazz, you know, is a very patriarchal mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, we have this kind of, they call it the dominant discourse of jazz. It's of jazz history. And it's, it's like, it's always looking up to the greats. Here's Miles Davis, here's John Coltrane, Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington. And and because of the times and because of the history and just the way that society works, a lot of 
women and queer artists just got buried. Mm-hmm. And they weren't considered the greats because for whatever reason. But I'm sure that if we took the time to delve deeper into recordings and things and and think about more deeply about what that means, that we would find a lot of really compelling music by people who aren't men yeah. <laughs> or, or like straight men. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's really important because how can we expect future musicians to come up and feel included and mm-hmm. whatever if they can't even see themselves? Yeah, absolutely. In those places. Future musicians and, and future listeners. Yeah. That's huge. Um, you know, that, that's the future of jazz you know but i will say that it is that it is not entirely hopeless and that it is changing mm-hmm. you know like we've got melissa aldana cecile mclaurin sylvanas francis pauling there's so many mm-hmm. camila mesa who by the way is really killing yeah um <laughs> yeah. who are really kind of pioneering this effort to to show that women the women can really play. Sure can. And that being a musician has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with gender. Mm-hmm. It, it gives me hope. These people give me hope that things are changing. And and it's your job, listeners, to, to kind of really think deeply about how you listen to music. And do you prefer male musicians because you think that male musicians are better? Mm. Just kind of, it's important, to, I think, to self-evaluate and deconstruct Mm-hmm. All of those predetermined ideas that we have. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what's what's next for you? What, what have you got in the? What are your long term goals? And also, where can where can people find you? My long term goals. Well, right now I'm not. <laughs> You're not thinking about it. <laughs> I'm not really thinking about it because, yeah. right? Because I've got so much work to do with the album. I think you know I've been writing a lot recently. So and this new batch of songs feels completely different from what you're going to hear on the album but um i'm i'm kind of like in my exploration phase mm-hmm. and i really want to explore with strings and electronic instruments is something that i've been really interested interested in lately um but the album will not have <laughs> any of those things you'll hear a little bit something similar to what you heard on on chance on me um but what you can hear or where you can find me, um, my website, lauralisconomusic.com, and my last name is spelled L-I-Z, like a zebra, C like a cat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, Music, and on Facebook, you can find me as well. Spotify, all those streaming sites, you can find all that music as well. Very cool. Laura Lascano, thanks for hanging out with me and, uh, and talking talking the life yeah thank you for having me thanks for listening to the voice equals power podcast for me this series is a labor of love my goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment if you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on this show drop me a line thanks for tuning in i hope to hear from you soon